I'm Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Monica Banke. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the latest market dynamics impacting executives and their customers. Today, we're joined by principal analyst Kathleen Pierce to discuss why localizing content is so important for B2B companies and how to get it right. Welcome, Kathleen. It's great to be here, Jen. So Kathleen, I feel like over the course of my career, oftentimes content localization is conflated with simply translation. I know that's not true, but can you expand upon what content localization means and why it's so important? Absolutely, Jen. Localizing content literally means making it appropriate for a locale. That often means translating it into another language, but it is more than just that. Localization also means using the right level of formality. It can mean using the right color sets, certainly using the right data formats, currency, dates, measurement units, all of that. And even more than that, it's also things like using local customer stories, local market data, and local images. It ensures that content is relevant to the audience. And this is important in B2B for a few reasons. The first reason is total addressable market. English speakers often say that English is the language of business, but um, 80% of the world doesn't speak it. If your offering is localized and your competitor is English only or Japanese only, you always have an advantage. The second reason is customer experience. 70% of B2B firms say that improving customer experience is a high or critical business priority this year. And when we recently surveyed B2B buyers for localization, we found that 65% really care about wanting to speak to providers in their own language. 63% want the website in their own language. And over 60% want the sales and marketing materials in their language. Sometimes I see studies that say, hey, evaluate the importance of localization on your buying decision compared to other aspects like technical credibility, relevance to your business needs, and surprise, localization appears near the bottom of the list. It's an unfair comparison. Localization is customer experience. When you were starting that conversation, one of the things that popped in my head was um, people tend to think about localization, often because of translation, as a global phenomenon. Um, is there a thing such as micro-localization and, and do we get into that as well? So if you only serve North America and you're only serving in English, but when you start to talk about all of those other things, local um, customer experiences, local tonality, local kind of ways of saying things. I, I see that a lot in the consumer world where people will use very distinct consumer things in, in the North or in the South or in the East. Is, is that a play for B2B or is that really just a consumer thing? We haven't even cracked global yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, what you're putting your finger on is a, another very important point, which is localization is a layer of personalization. And some of the customers and the people I speak to who are really nailing it on localization, they've said to me, it is so much a part of personalization, you can't tease it apart. So getting things like, am I speaking to New England or am I speaking to over in Tokyo or am I trying to be relevant in South Africa? That has all these, all these overtones as well as, as language. 
And happily for B2B leaders, the infrastructure that will deliver one also delivers the other. So Kathleen, you were laying out a pretty compelling story as to the importance of localization. Are we at this moment in time where you're seeing like a tipping point of of more firms getting into doing this? What's the maturity curve here in terms mm-hmm. of firms localizing content to take advantage of that, you know, potentially a bigger addressable market or being more competitive um, in their space? Absolutely. Yes. Localization has been poised to disrupt for, honestly, for at least a decade and probably more. People have been working on machine translation and the like for decades. I think it actually is near a tipping point now. And the reason is B2C and increased computer capacity. So nowadays, as B2C consumers, we're all used to being able to go to any website and just click see translation or select your flag and it appears in your in your language. We expect it will be customized to our environment. And as we know, B2B buyers bring B2C expectations over with them. And nowadays with machine translation, it's getting so much better. It's still not a magic wand, but it is so much better than it used to be. And the investment in it is huge. So we can expect that it will keep getting better and better. I'm especially interested in the development of what they call contextual uh, machine translation. So imagine if you had a healthcare leader or a genomics leader giving a talk and it's being translated speech to text and or speech to speech, and they're speaking at a conference. And so you're applying machine translation to that, and it's using a machine translation library that is customized for healthcare. But then then the speaker suddenly pauses and starts relating a personal story. The same formality and tone and, and delivery that was appropriate when they were speaking about genomics and sequencing is suddenly inappropriate. Contextual machine translation would pick that up and substitute in another machine translation library to account for that lower formality level and the different vocabulary. We're still very early stages on that, but that's the kind of thing I think will get bigger and bigger. And that has the potential to be really transformative. The thought of of personalization being the umbrella or the internal moniker by which you make the case to make these investments, do you think you'd get better uptick from a CMO if they said, oh, well, this is part of my personalization strategy. My personalization strategy has you know, five different pillars or, or areas, and this is one of them, rather than holding it to the side saying, here's my localization strategy. Now that's also you know, kind of operationally how do you do it? Um, because the, the decision-making and the operations has to synchronize. You know, that's a yes and a no answer. I think it would be very smart to have the same leaders, to have it laddering up to the same ultimate leader managing both personalization and localization. But the thing about localization is it's very technical. You know that famous uh, marketing technologies chart? It started out with 1,400 technologies, and now it's up to something like 7,000. Well, there's one of those for localization as well. And right now there are about 800 technologies listed on it. 
It is insanely technical. And one of the big reasons that companies are unhappy with their localization is the way they're doing it. It's like trying to to use Excel and email instead of your CRM to run your Salesforce. You just can't do it. It doesn't work. I'd say the three big mistakes that companies make with localization are decentralization, lack of strategy, lack of infrastructure. And the decentralization touches on what you were just saying about personalization. So it's so common for groups across the organization to be managing their own localization and no one really owns it. It's being done as a task by a lot of people. And so you've got different regional marketers, all with their own freelancers and agencies. Product, uh, R&D are working with their own localization firms, possibly with technology that integrates with GitHub and their other development tools. Uh, marketing is working with localization. Sales is localizing. Legal is localizing. HR is localizing. Everybody's localizing. And they're all using different, different vendors. And surprise, surprise, it's incredibly expensive. There's no economies of scale. So that's why I say the first thing you have to do is have a central leader for localization. Some companies that are very foresighted are actually starting to appoint chief localization officers. That's still very unusual, but we're starting to see it. Sometimes it lives under customer experience. And you still need all of those different groups to be able to localize and, of course, run their own strategy. But the difference is infrastructure and economies of scale. So once you have that central shared translation memory, shared vendor management, uh, shared accountability, then you can have a rational localization structure that actually serves the business and is measurable. I mean, what are you seeing out in the market today, Kathleen, is it that it's been so decentralized or like siloed essentially mm -hmm. across organizations that they haven't seen the return on said investment. So they're a bit not willing to kind of give it another go, so to mm -hmm. speak. I mean, is that where most firms are today? I'm seeing a real bifurcation and, and the difference is the strategy. So customers that understand that localization is an element of personalization, it's an investment in customer experience, are seeing insane returns. When I talk to companies that are actually measuring their localization and constantly adapting, just like we do for campaigns, you know, we try something with a campaign. If it works, we do it again. If it doesn't work, we stop doing it or we change it. The companies that are taking that approach to localization are telling me things like, hey, we invested in training our sales force and now they're so much better at upsell. We're making huge incremental sales gains. They're saying things like, we're seeing expansion of total available market by three to four X. We're seeing five X engagement on our website and in event registration. So when they take that experiment, test, iterate approach to localization and really treat it as as an important tool to drive buyer engagement, to drive sales effectiveness, to drive, drive revenue ultimately, then they're seeing returns. And here's something else that I think is really fun is that startups, they're treating localization as a cost of doing business 
And I'm hearing from localization vendors that they're seeing startups are coming in and they're going to market for the first time in 30 languages. They're using machine translation and they're just, they're just doing it. And I think that that's a very interesting threat to incumbents, to large firms, because what happens when your local competitor in Turkey that you've never worried about, because, um, because they're smaller and their product isn't quite as good, all of a sudden they're going to market in Turkish, in all these other languages, and they're taking advantage of all the democratized supply chain that we see nowadays where you've got the payments, they can access the international shipping infrastructure, the e-commerce online. All of a sudden, they can act like a large company and they offer better ease of use. A lot of customers will go for good enough with a better customer experience than the absolute best solution with a company that's hard to do business with. It sort of flies in the face of what you were mentioning earlier, right? Where like localization in a survey format maybe is at the bottom of the list mm-hmm. and, you know, but in the reality of a course of a customer experience, it, it certainly adds to probably an emotional connection mm-hmm. as like a, you know, a buyer, obviously. And then also to the ease of use and um, just being more accessible, frankly, It's funny because I was going to ask the question, when should a company start doing this? And you kind of answered that because I wondered about the small companies. Mm -hmm. Your explanation of the business case was was really interesting on the companies that you've seen do this well, make the right investments and the return that they're getting. Do we have a template for that business case? Can we guide clients in in terms of, of actually making that case? Because I think that would be incredibly helpful. Yes, in fact, uh, we have uh, we have research on how to conduct a localization audit, and how to tap into the insights of your local your local customer facing employees. Because localization is not one size fits all. The strategy is never localize everything, because that really would be impossible, and it would be insanely expensive. You need to figure out where it matters. At the coming uh, North American Summit, I'm going to be debuting a new six-step model for how to re-envision, how to relaunch your localization strategy. So yeah, we provide we provide quite a few tools to help people articulate that business case. Without giving away the whole kit and caboodle, Kathleen, let's maybe dig into that model. Maybe you can um, share the first couple steps and, and we can tackle those here. Sure. So the first two steps, number one, commit to a vision. Commit to a vision of localization as an aspect of customer experience and personalization. Treat it as an investment and not as a cost center. The second is to centralize your governance with a hub and spoke model. You need to appoint a qualified localization leader who provides resources and oversight and surround them by a council of the regional and functional experts who were previously operating in silos. For example, if you plan to double your revenue from France in three years, this is the time you need to invest in localization to equip your sales and marketing people to lay the groundwork. And you have to to understand for different roles, different countries, how important is localization to them? 
Are they not showing up in your leads database because the second they see that you're not local, they don't even engage with you. Localization is so important, they won't even touch your website. That's important to know. Other, other roles, other countries, other languages, it's important to them. Sometimes it's important, but they only engage with you if they think the localization is good quality. Other times they really don't care. They're perfectly comfortable operating multilingually. And every now and then we run into roles and languages for whom operating in another language, say English or Japanese, is higher priority, higher prestige for them than operating in their own language. So it really varies. Localization is global and you've got to have a map. You've got to invest the time up front to map it down to the country and the role level. Decision maker, technical influencer, ratifier, logistics support, end user. All of these roles may interact with localization and require it in different places to different degrees. And you need this level of insight so that you can make the right decisions about where to invest. Kathleen, are we just talking about our marketing world here? Because I feel like what you're describing could very easily seep into delivery of, um, you know, whatever service or solution you're providing. So how, how broad does this vision go? Ultimately, it's the whole customer experience. And that's why it is very useful to have this at least managed as an enterprise investment. Even if marketing is is driving the effort, even if though the the central leader may be situated in marketing, they need to think of this at an enterprise level. Because as we know, to our customers, they don't they don't evaluate their experience separately because they say, well, that one was designed by marketing and this one must have been designed by my product. To them, it's all your company. And imagine it's so common for, say, you've got a customer or a prospect in Quebec and they come to an event and they're speaking to your people in Canadian French. And then they're given handouts that are in English. They go to your website and it's a mix of English and continental French. And then they, they get um, a Canadian French sales presentation, very well localized. And then when they get the product, it's in English and continental French, Spanish, Italian, German, Japanese, Ch Chinese, and Korean. Every element of their customer journey feels to them like it was created by a different person because it was. So you have to understand how your localization fits into that big customer life cycle. Because sometimes people just won't engage with your localized copy because when they see that it's so patchy, they don't trust it. And they say, if, you know, I know this is a Japanese company or this is an English company. And so if I engage with them in those languages, I'm confident I will have all the information. And what they often do instead is they use their browser translation or Google Translate, you know, the free online tools to translate so they can read your stuff. But think of what that does to your brand, to your keywords, to your voice. You're letting some random global free-for-all tool deliver your brand voice to a prospect. How smart is that? That really crystallizes the risk involved in not doing this from a brand perspective, obviously. Mm -hmm. What a great example. What a great illustration. 
And it's interesting that you chose it from a like a country perspective. And I started thinking about you kind of said it, but passed by really quickly about the different personas in a buying group. Mm -hmm. um, so in the B2B world, as we know, you know, it's not just a single persona. So you might have the, the country and then exponential complexity if you have a larger buying group. Mm -hmm. So what's your advice? I mean, you could just like you have to select, hey, I'm going to grow in this country and I'm going to invest here. Do you also have to make the selections in terms of roles within the buying group to determine the level of localization that you're going to go to given where mm -hmm. they are in the buying group? And is there any kind of thoughts you have and, and advice you have on that? Yes. I recommend taking a similar approach to personas, but not quite. So the thing about personas is that they tend to be specific to a campaign or a market or an offering or a solution. But the thing about language preferences is they're more long lasting. So, and I think you could have a better model that is similar to the persona model, but not quite the same. Because say, if you knew that, say in Sweden that, uh, I'm just making this up, suppose you said in Sweden that people who are at the, at the top executive level are generally very comfortable in you know, a number of languages other than Swedish, and they don't have any problem dealing with that. That's not really going to vary depending on what campaign you're running. That's a preference that's part of the culture in Sweden. Whereas uh, I've talked to to people, employees who are customer facing and in country, and they'll say they've said things to me like, "The people, the end users of our product are never going to speak English in a million years. They're never going to call our customer support if it means they have to interact in English." And so they call their sales rep or their support rep, who then has to translate everything for them. And so, and that end user. Uh, capability or capacity. Again, it's it's not specific to a campaign or an offering. And that's good news because it means you can start building up that database of what are the general language preferences within a given locale. And that will that will persist with some reasonable accuracy across all the experiences. And so you just make sure that all of the different groups who are localizing all have access to this database of preferences, and you can keep building that up and refining it. It's interesting when you say that because it makes a big difference then if it's a net new acquisition and who's in the buying group, which may, to your example in Sweden, have you know more executives than you can be in English, but from a retention perspective, mm -hmm. when you're trying to renew or cross sell an upsell and you're dealing with the users because the, the group of engagement, the the group of, of customers you're engaging with has changed. Now that has to change as well. So this can mm -hmm. get very sophisticated. <laughs> it can get very sophisticated. And then there are things like the laws and the regulations. So you could have a country where perhaps everyone's perfectly comfortable operating in whatever your language is, but to submit a tender, they have to have certain materials in local language. And you know, maybe if you trans if you translate a bunch of materials into Lithuanian uh, at a cost of ten thousand dollars, then you can get a hundred thousand dollars sale. So I always recommend budgeting so that the regions have 
have a discretionary budget. I like to call it um, go big, go small, go home as your budget approach. Go big means committing to a good customer experience multilingually for all your top tier countries, the ones that are important to you now and that will be important in three to five years. And you, you satisfy as much of their preference as you can. Go small is for your second tier, where you can't afford to invest the same amount in the customer experience, but you're still intentional about it. You try and hit the high points. And go home is where you, you entrust your regional employees with a, a discretionary budget so that they have the flexibility to translate the things that make a difference right then, that are very specific, that aren't part of a general strategy, but they can do what they need to do to get the sale. Go big, go small, and go home. They all have their place. A lot of B2B companies have a lot of technical information. Mm -hmm. um, and I used to think about a, a difference between the localization of technical information, which tends to need more language treatment and maybe some like product layers, but as a kind of a different thought process than something that had any kind of emotional component because the technical information doesn't tend to have the emotional, you don't have to connect emotionally. Um, do you tend to also bifurcate the strategy based on, it, you kind of touched on this a little bit on contextual, but this is a little bit different. It's the nature of the content itself and is one more important than the other or how do you determine where you put your energy from that perspective? Mm -hmm. I have a model that I'm going to share about that at the summit. And the key is you match the method to the material. So for example, for things like landing pages or ads, as you say, they're very, they're emotional. They have this, this very personal component. They're very unique. And so for those you want trained human translators, uh, you may, those are the things where you may have someone who's in your office, in your regional office, write them because they understand the tone. Whereas for things like technical information, which where it's a very specific vocabulary, but it's not very unique. You use the same sentences, the same paragraphs over and over again in your data sheets, in your technical documentation, in your software. That's very, that's very appropriate for machine translation. So every business should have a human to machine translation strategy because sometimes you want to pay the extra for the human. Sometimes it's a much smarter decision to use machine translation. The companies who are getting this really well, what I see is I keep hearing numbers like, once we implemented that, we were able to do 10 times, sometimes I've even heard 100 times more localization on the same localization budget. It's insane. It's the economies of scale are enormous. It's not a completely straight savings because the way you get that is you also invest a little bit in having that skilled headcount at your company who knows how to set all that stuff up. But generally, when I talk to co companies who have really nailed this and are doing it fantastically, they often are able to be even more efficient with headcount because they're able to take some of the admin work away that was previously spread across many different many different people and they're able to put it all into automated workflows. So Kathleen, I know we've talked 
a bit throughout this conversation, sort of around the second step, right? Like having a qualified person leading the effort around localization, having this council, but you, you make a point in, you know, in your, in your body of research here, that alignment is key. What do we mean by alignment um, specifically as it relates to localization? HQ tends to have a very different picture of what's going on with localization than the regions do. And it's very instructive to survey your employees who are in the regions and ones who normally operate in a different language than whatever language you generally speak at headquarters. We actually looked into that in a recent study and found that people who are speaking the same language as is spoken at HQ, 48% of them think that HQ and the regional offices are well aligned on localization strategy, ownership, and execution. But if you talk to the people who speak a different language, only 16% of them think that. So three times as many people at HQ think everything is fine than the people in the regions who are actually living with the day-to-day -day impact. It's very important to put on those different perspectives and see things through a different lens. That's an incredible data point. And at the end of the day, I guess the guidance is assume nothing as part of this process, right? Yeah. Make, make sure that you're talking to the regions and, and mm -hmm. to get their buy-in too as, as part of this process because it probably won't work otherwise. Yeah. And it's so common for companies to just let laws and regulations set their strategy because if you're legally required to translate something, well, that's it. There's your budget. But what laws and regulations require is not necessarily the same thing as what your customers need. And you need to talk to your customer-facing employees in-country, as well as to the customers themselves, to find out where localization moves the needle so that you can have the right investment to grow your business and retain your customers. That's great. So I feel like you leaned in a little bit as to what you were going to showcase at, at Summit. Is there anything else that you want to add as to what you'll be speaking to on stage there? Oh, well, uh, having the right to vision and governance, it's necessary, but it is not sufficient. The other steps that I'll be talking about at Summit are a new way of understanding your regional customers, a way of identifying where you are losing time and money now. I'll also talk, as we briefly touched on, about the role of technology and then also about measurement, because only 26% of B2B companies right now are measuring the impact of localization, which is not sufficient. And so I'll talk about how we, how we can right-size that as well. Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. It's been great talking with you. If you like what you heard today, join us at Forrester's B2B Summit North America on May 2nd through 4th. Learn more at forcom slash summit 22. That's F-O-R-R dot com slash summit 22. Thanks for listening.